Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us on this edition of the hugely popular Cummings Pepperdine Crypto Questions. Something we've talked about in the past is tokenization in general, but I wonder how many people have ever thought about how it's possible, or even if it's possible, to tokenize a fund. Well, I'm delighted to have with me today Danielle Fole from Hash Directors in Cayman, who is herself a director of a tokenized fund. So, Danielle, how about we just get straight down to it? Tell our listeners what exactly is a tokenized fund? And then perhaps we can look at why anybody would tokenize and how to do it. And then the different structures and quirks that are out there. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me um, on the podcast. Very exciting. My pleasure. Yeah, so let's dig right into it. So a tokenized fund is basically the same thing as a normal fund as we know it, but with one small and impactful difference. The shares are on the blockchain. So it uses underlining blockchain technology to issue tokens that represents the ownership of a fund. So just with normal funds, as you can buy and sell and transfer, you know, your share in the fund, now you can buy, sell or transfer your token that's connected to to this fund. So how how would they do it? That's the question. So a fund can mint their own specific tokens. So Clary, if you had your own fund, you can call it a Clary token. You can really call it anything. And then they choose a blockchain to, you know, launch this on. Polygon is very, very, a very, very popular blockchain to do this on. And then, you know, they can start selling these these tokens and that would represent a share. So one token would be one share in the yeah. fund and so forth. So if, let's say if I just recap that, if we think about what we might term the sort of a tra- traditional hedge fund. It's a Cayman fund. It has a minimum subscription of 100,000 US and that buys you one, uh, that buy, buys you say 100 shares. I fill in my form, the subscription form, I send off the money to the administrator and I've got my shares. With a token, though, I get a token, which is a token of those 100 shares. I put my token in my wallet and I keep it safe. But not just that. If I want to sell my shares to somebody else, presumably I can just take my token out and I can sell it on. Exactly. So, so, so that also means that you can create a secondary market in your fund exactly. investment. Liquidity is made, well, you don't have to wait for the next quarter or whatever to redeem your fund. Your liquidity is complete. Exactly. So how a tokenized fund works in the back end, and that makes all of this possible, is it's run by a smart a smart contract and you can put anything into the smart contract requirements and how subscriptions are made and how redemptions are made so all of this would be governed you, by a smart contract and can you put if i could just check you know, nobody can make an investment nowadays in anything without completing full due diligence and that for some people that may be enhanced due diligence so can that due diligence be also caught um, built into the smart contract so that Say, for example, you know, I've got my token of my my 100 shares and I want to sell to you. Yeah. So what happens is 
the smart contract is created where the investor, usually with a with a tokenized fund, the fund would have either an interface, a UI, or an app where the investor can create a profile, and that profile is then KYC'd and then used to make the investments to buy and sell sell tokens. So the yeah. KYC process are usually automatic, where software is used to KYC investor and no manual intervention is used at all. What would happen is we would do things like scanning your face and taking a photo, taking a photo of your ID, doing a likeliness check, for instance, and measuring where your IP is at. So where you're actually creating this um, profile from or where you're actually subscribing from, ensuring, you know, your proof of address aligns with your IP and in the country where it is. So that is that can all be done automatically and integrated into your smart contract. So usually as a director, I require my funds to first sign off on the AML before allowing any funds to enter the fund itself before accepting any funds from investors. Yeah. I think that probably if I ask my next question, we've probably cut we've we've no doubt covered a lot of it. So it might sound a bit silly, but apart from the obvious upside of tokenization t- of of liquidity, tell me why tokenize a fund? Well, I mean there's a there's a couple of good good reasons to do it because of the blockchain basics and the smart contract governance that creates a lot of benefits. So the first one would be fractional ownership. Just like you would buy a Bitcoin in the beginning, people thought you have to buy an entire Bitcoin, but you really don't have to. In the beginning, you could do, couldn't you? Yes. (laughs) Well, yes, that would be very, very cheap for you. But now, you know, you can probably just buy 0.001 or whatever it is. Um, And that allows for small percentages of investment for, you know, these average day investors into a fund where they wouldn't normally get the option or opportunity to invest in funds like a venture capital fund or other tokenized assets such as fine arts. So the fractional ownership makes that possible. Then, you know, it's built on a blockchain, so it's very transparent. Um, It allows you for... Yeah, transparent and immutable. Yeah. So you've got, so the ownership is there. So there'll be less dispute over ownership. Plus, built into the blockchain, as we've already said, is the AML. Exactly. And also with the transparency comes, you can track all the transactions, you can track the valuation and the performance almost real time. So investors can actually then invest or divest in real time and track the market value of their investment more often than, you know, getting the monthly statement from your fund admin as it would usually work. So it's very, very transparent that way. You can also see the entire share register on the blockchain, all the holders of the token, all those wallets, that would be the share register of the blockchain. So you can see entire real time share register on the blockchain as opposed to manually doing it. So you really get to uh, what, see inside, but obviously things which need to be confidential, such as who the other shareholders are, then you, the director, obviously you can see that and you need to and the administrator, but the other shareholders won't be able to, no, no shareholder can see who the other shareholders are, can they? Exactly, they can't. So all you can see on the blockchain is the wallet address that holds the token, but you can't see the name of the person that actually holds the token. That would only be known by the fund. So it is public, but your identity is still protected. 
There is also, so what we're talking about really is a great deal of flexibility being built in, which is something which is, to me, one of one of the most important and useful elements of blockchain is that flexibility. You, know, you can let the right people see all the way in, but you can also give confidential protection, which is required by law. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And you... The things that's required by law, those requirements, that could be governed by the smart contract. So if you build the smart contract really correctly and build that into the smart contract, you don't have to worry about that too much. Another benefit that it can give you is improved liquidity. So typically with venture capital funds, their assets are usually illiquid and they have lockup periods. So in this yes. case, what we're and, seeing and lockup periods as well. Yeah. Yeah, up to, you know, seven or 10 years. And what we're seeing these days is a secondary market, you know, where those LP investors can sell those tokens on a secondary market and liquidate it before the lockup period, period has or expired. So that makes it actually now a liquid token as opposed to an illiquid token and allows so much, so much more investors to go into those type of funds. Yeah. That's a very, raises, very good benefit to have. Yeah. It raises a very interesting point with is of is that token a token? Is that token a share? Whatever. But that's that that's an that that's an interesting one for me to mull over and maybe we'll discuss it another day. But tell me. How can you tokenize? Because I would imagine that there are going to be some funds and fund managers who have the ability to to, to actually code and produce tokens and, and issue them and, and produce smart contracts and also test the smart contracts internally. But not everybody's going to have that kind of capacity, are they? So what are the different ways that a manager can tokenize a fund? Well, there's really two ways. So the first one is you can you know, appoint your own developers and you can develop your own smart contract UI or app and you can decide the system and how it should work, which is good. With, and the benefit of doing this is you can build in your jurisdictional requirements into your smart contract. Um, you have to hire, hire developers, though, that understand the fund nuances and the requirements of your jurisdiction yes. to build yeah. this effectively. Um, you're going to need to do a smart contract, you know, audits to ensure there's no bugs and, you know, comply with the jurisdictional requirements. Yeah. And, the, and I would, and I would, you know, expect me to say this, of course, but I would also add that you have to have your lawyers working very, very closely with the developers to make sure that the smart contract is legally correct. Exactly. So, you know, that's why you need a developer that could relay the information to legal professionals or, you know, accounting professionals, an easy way where you can work together to do it. Because they really speak a different language to us, right? Developers, they code in different languages, they speak a little bit of a different language. So very important when hiring developers. So the second option would be to, you know, employ a service provider or somebody else to do it. You can get a already built smart contract, which is basically a package uh, software that you would usually like normally buy, and you can customize it according to your needs. A couple yeah. of things to consider for those is it's not written specifically for the requirements of your jurisdiction. So, for instance, FATCA, CRS, or tax requirements. So you have to ensure that your requirements are 
and could be implemented in that smart contract, or you have to work with the service provider um, to update the smart contract to comply with it. So two things to consider there. Internal and external. Yeah, exactly. So, Danielle, let me, let me sort of bring this on to another question, which is what structures are available? And I say this in light of you know, the earlier comment of, to me, one of the delights of blockchain is the flexibility and how it can be used. So what structures are available? Are there any that aren't available? Well, that is the interesting part. It really is about the underlying technology, the blockchain and the smart contract. You can have any type of fund or any type of structure tokenized. It's yeah. all about the technology behind it. So there's not a lot of limitations here. No, Jenny, you've had a bit of a sort of a, a gallop through these. But one thing which I would find very interesting, possibly slightly gossipy to end on, would be from your experience as a director of a tokenized fund and having gone through the process of building them and also now through the process of being an ongoing director. Tell me about some of the quirks that need to be considered. Tell me about some of the things that can go wrong and also the things that went really right and you want people to, 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 to know more about. So there's quite a bit of things to consider here because, you know, we've been directors on tokenized funds for a while now. We've seen some things go right and wrong and things you would never expect or don't even know about. So um, a lot of considerations here. I would say the first one, because it's a crypto to crypto transaction, because you're subscribing in a crypto and you're getting a token of the fund, you know, it's a, it, we call it a subscription in kind. And with some subscriptions in kind, as an independent director, I'm searching for a little bit more than the usual KYC procedures. So we usually require clients to do, you know, scan the wallet and get a risk rating on the wallet. That really yeah. is going to depend on what the inflow into the wallet was and what the outflow of the wallet was. What the risk rating does is it checks if there's any high risk inflows, for, ex for example, from a mixer, and it gives the wallet a risk rating, which can be used in your KYC analysis. And then another thing we require or ask our clients to consider is, you know, ensuring that the person that invests has control over the wallet that they're subscribing from. So there's control tests that you can do as well. Yeah. So those are two additional things that can be written into either the smart contract or those that needs to be done manually. And the smart contract can only be executed once the AML and KYC has been signed off. Some things to you know consider there. In terms of the smart contract, I'm not going to lie to you, there's some extra hoops to jump through here to develop it and ensure the regulation is also included in the development of the smart contract. Like we yes. mentioned, yeah. the jurisdictional laws need to be incorporated, you need to audit it, and you need somebody to understand the tech there. The third thing would be a secondary market. It's good and bad because it allows for liquidity for venture capital funds, but it's also bad because if you allow an investor to sell a token of a fund on a secondary market that's not KYC'd or that's not an eligible investor, then you're not within your PPM or your regulations. So ensuring that your smart contract regulates that as well and that you're using only secondary markets that also complies with your requirements is very important. Yeah, and absolutely they, key. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
<laughs> absolutely, absolutely key. And then just from a service provider perspective, I mean, in Cayman Islands, we have a lot of great service providers here for the digital asset industry. From a fund admin perspective, I mean, I've, I've, I've come from a fund admin world, specifically digital assets. So just to pull the data from the blockchain and normalize these data and pull the data from the smart contract itself, you're either going to need to do it and normalize it yourself or get a service provider to do it. That could be a challenge sometimes. Then, you know, having the software that can deal with cryptocurrency and crypto transactions, getting the market value for this crypto to crypto transaction. For instance, I'm investing in Bitcoin. I'm buying the funds, you know, token. I'm going to need the market value for my Bitcoin and the funds token at the time of investment. And that needs to be available. So your fund admin needs to have that available to them as well. And then they have to have knowledge about smart contracts, the market, and how it works. And then other things like transfer agents, for instance, there's also a consideration there. Because usually they would go through the process of accepting, you know, your fiat in the bank account, checking that the fiat has been accepted, checking the subscription document, and then paying out redemptions manually. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But because of the smart contract and how efficient that is, we don't need them to do those things manually anymore. For instance, create a register of shareholders because that is already real time available on the blockchain. So it really takes out a lot of that effort. So transfer agents wouldn't be as necessary as they usually were in the traditional fund sense. You know, you have to also think about private keys. If you're going to have a smart contract, if the the tokens are going to be held on the app, who's going to keep the private keys? Is there a custodian that's going to hold those key those um keys for those tokens yes. or those yeah, wallets? And maybe you will even shard that key as well. That's yeah. And then you definitely then shard the key. Yeah. <laughs> So we usually require or, you know, talk to our clients about MPC wallet solutions where you have multiple layers of approval that you can do for institutional integration, you know, where it's not only one person that can transfer all the funds or assets on the management of a fund. You need two or more people to do it. I mean, I've been in a situation recently where one of my funds actually shared private keys on a password manager. And the idea was to, you know, send the assets under management and hold the assets under management in that private or in that wallet. So we had to abandon the wallet and explain to them how the tech works behind it. So these things you see which you need to, you know, focus on as well. Um, there's a couple of other jurisdictional and legal requirements that you need to look at as well, like a VASP Act in Cayman Islands, for instance. We have a Virtual Asset Service Provider Act, and you need to know if you fall inside or outside of that. If you're inside of it, you need to register with SEMA. We recommend usually to obtain a legal opinion with that. Yes, yeah, important. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for that. I think in particular, when we were talking about the points and considerations, there was a lot to go through there and it was even more of a gallop than usual. I wonder if maybe we could we could do another podcast soon where we just talk about the quirks and considerations of maybe funds and crypto all together, so not just tokenized funds. What do you reckon about coming back? And we'll talk about that maybe after the summer. And we can also see how things have progressed over the summer because, you know, as you said to me earlier, five years 
is five lifetimes at the speed that crypto is going. Exactly. We're seeing so much happening these days. So let's catch up again later on digital asset funds and also tokenized funds, because there's so much to consider as it's a specialized field, you know, with additional technical complexities to consider, especially from, you know, a director's perspective as well. So I'll be happy to come back and we can speak about that a little bit more. Perfect. Well, all I need to do do now is say thank you very much to our listeners. Danielle, thank you very much to you. And I will just give the website addresses for both our websites. So if anybody would has any questions, would like to speak to Danielle Foll, F-A-U-L, Dan, the website for Hash Directors is www.hash.direct. And of course, the website for Cummings Pepperdine is cummingspepperdine.com. Thank you for listening. And Danielle, thank you very much for talking in such detail about such an interesting topic today. Thanks, Claire, for having me. 